0: All right, let's pray. Pray with me and we'll get into the study tonight. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit more than any other time before. We know there's a lot of stress and tension. And in the midst of that, our flesh wants to be in a place of worry, and a place of fighting. And pray for those specifically that find themselves in the midst of an argument tonight or with a family member or a coworker. That, Lord, you would help us to walk in the Spirit. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme of Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth is that we are bought with a price. That Jesus has paid the price for us upon the cross and that our lives belong to him in the church of Corinth, it's a complete mess. We find that there's sexual sin that's not being addressed, not being confronted. The spiritual gifts are used out of order. There's the abuse of the spiritual gifts. There's fighting that's uh, taking place. They're not walking in love with one another. The communion table is not being done in a way of considering each other. So Paul now, as we get into chapter 3, he begins addressing issues. And the first issue that he really wants to address, that he wants to solve and see the church of Corinth grow, is their fighting. They're fighting with one another and their division that's taking place inside of the church family. He gets to the deeper issue, and the deeper issue is that they're walking in the flesh. He uses the word carnal. The word carnal, it means flesh, fleshly. So here you have a group of believers that are saved. They know the Lord, but yet they're not walking according to the Spirit of God and fighting with one another. Oftentimes, unfortunately, that can be our spiritual state. Our spiritual condition is one that we're in the flesh. We're we're carnal instead of being spiritual. And in that condition, we're not all that God wants us to be. And so Paul is going to challenge them to get out of the flesh and to get in the spirit. Join me in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal as to babes in Christ. Paul says, I wanted to write to you and speak to you as those who are spiritual, those who were mature, but instead I had to write to you as babes, babes in Christ, because you're in this place of being carnal, you're in this place of being fleshly. So when we don't allow the Spirit of God to lead us When we get ourselves to a place of jealousy and envy, we're not able to grow the way that the Lord would desire. God would want to speak to us as spiritual. God would want to speak to us as mature, but instead he's got to speak to us in our current spiritual condition. So remember that. Remember that. When the flesh is dominating our lives, it's going to prevent our spiritual growth. Paul and his love as a father, spiritual father, is patient with the church of Corinth and he's going to teach them where they're at. He wishes that they could handle spiritual meat, but they're at a place where they can only handle milk and Paul is patient with them through that process. Why is it so important for us to be spiritually minded? In Romans 8 verse 6 it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. When we're in a place where our sinful flesh is dominating us, and that's all that we're thinking about, it's going to lead to death. We've all experienced that at different points in our life. But when we're on the things of God and allowing the Spirit of God to lead us, it leads to life and peace. Who who doesn't want life and peace? In verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. This is a bummer for the church of Corinth. What spiritual filet did God want to give them, but instead they were only able to drink milk? Now it's a beautiful thing when a baby is born. There's nothing more magnificent than that. It's amazing to see a baby drink, and drink milk, and grow, and, but if you've got a five-year-old that's still only drinking milk, something's dysfunctional there. By the time a child's five, they should be enjoying hamburgers, and spaghetti, and some ice cream, and eating some steak, and as they grow and continue in maturity, it's important for them to have all of those nutrients. And when someone first comes to know Christ as their Savior, it's exciting, it's wonderful that they're drinking the milk of the Word, but there should be progression to where that they could enjoy filet mignon, they could enjoy the deeper things of God. The Church of Corinth should really be at a place now where they're able to move past some of the elementary things and go into some of the deeper things. But unfortunately, their carnal state, their fleshly state is keeping them from enjoying the appetite of the word. Because when the flesh dominates our lives, it prevents us from having the appetite of God's word. In verse three, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy and strife and division among you, are you not carnal in behaving like men? So how do we know if we're carnal? The scriptures tell us, Paul declares it, the Holy Spirit reveals it, that if there's envy and strife and division, it reveals that we're still walking in the flesh instead of walking in the spirit. Envy is also jealousy. Have you ever looked at what somebody else has and gone, man, I really want that. I really desire that. As the weather gets warmer and grass gets greener, a lot of times for me I envy my neighbor's grass. I go, "Why can't my grass be as green as as their grass? I need to figure out their trick." Many times we're not content with the things that God has provided us, and we always long for what somebody else has. A lot of times even food looks better on somebody else's plate. Not right now we're not going out to eat, but if times past when we're going out to eat and your family orders something it's like man I'm not happy with what I ordered I wish I would have ordered what they ordered and so if we're in this place of envy and and jealousy going man here I am married and I wish I was single or here I'm single and I wish I was married and I have this job but I really would like that job It reveals this fleshly, this carnal heart that's preventing us from growing in the Lord. What if you went into a church and the atmosphere of the church was one of envy? The atmosphere of relationships was one of, man, I'm not content with what God is giving me, but I want what God has given you. Sometimes this even takes place in spiritual gifts. With spiritual gifts, we... Go, I'm not content with what God has blessed me with. I wish that I had their gift. This would be a terrible atmosphere for a church. Then also that there's strife, fighting. The atmosphere of the church of Corinth was was one of fighting and of division. Look at verse 4. It says, for when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm Apollos, are you not carnal? So when they're dividing into these little groups where they're saying, I'm following Apollos, no, I'm following Paul, Paul declares to them, you're, you're still fleshly. And this is a, a big indicator for us. And write this down. This is point number one tonight, is evaluate your spiritual state. The key here is not... Evaluate someone else's spiritual state. Evaluate your spouses or your kids or someone in your small group or your connect group. But no, evaluate your spiritual state. We can see whether we're fleshly or spiritual if our life is defined with a narrative of envy and strife and division. If everywhere we go we contribute to Jealousy, strife, and division, it's an indicator that we're in the flesh. But if we're in a place where the Spirit of God is ruling our lives, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and gentleness, kindness and and long-suffering. I don't know about you, but it's so easy to get into this fleshly state, into this sinful state. In Matthew chapter 16, we see Peter and he understands that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. Jesus then declares, upon this rock, I will build my church. It's an incredible spiritual moment. It's an incredible spiritual revelation. But then moments later, Jesus begins to describe as the Messiah that he's going to go to the cross and die. Peter rebukes the Lord, and in that moment, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. He went from spiritual revelation to being in the flesh, just like that. Have you ever been reading your scriptures, reading your Bible, and in worship, and as soon as you put it down, or even before you put it down, you get frustrated and angry at someone in your family? Happens so quickly. And when this is where the battle is, the flesh versus the spirit. And Paul's encouragement to the church of Corinth is for them to see, hey, you're in the flesh. You're in this carnal state and this church together is in this, this carnal state. And it's not what the Lord would desire. I wonder what the Lord would say to us as a church family How would he evaluate us? What would the Holy Spirit write to Rocky Mountain Calvary? Are our lives defined with envy and strife and division? This is a very unique time, and there's a ton of stress. There's the stress of the unknown, of how long the coronavirus is going to go, there's the stress of finances and worrying about finances, and those are real concerns. There's stress when you go to the grocery store and keeping six feet distance and having to wait outside and wait in line until enough people leave the store to where you're able to go in. There's the fear of maybe I'm going to catch the coronavirus or you're struggling and fighting through the coronavirus currently. And all this stress, all of our routines are changed, not going to work the way that we were. Our kids are not going to school is it's the perfect environment, if we're not careful, to get extremely fleshy, to get extremely selfish and sinful, and to start fighting. Maybe right now you're fighting with someone you should be loving. It wouldn't surprise me families experiencing more division, marriages experiencing more division. Satan would want to come in and Divide churches at this time and divide us with unbelievers. And church, hear me on this. Though it's an opportunity for our flesh to rear its ugly head, it's also an opportunity for the Spirit of God to lead us and to guide us and move us to a place of love and joy and peace and gentleness. More than ever, right now is the time to surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, you help me. You have the resources for me to be able to love my family in the way that you desire. While we're on this topic of family, Pastor Doug has put together a family resource page on our website, rmcalvary.org. And if you look through the ministries, there's the family resource page where there's some resources there for family devotions. There's some resources there for praying together. But husbands and wives, don't neglect praying together. Don't neglect reading the word together, meditating on the Lord together, praying against the attack of the enemy who would want to come in and divide us. So our flesh is here saying fight. Our flesh is here saying be envious. Our flesh is here saying divide. But the Spirit of God is saying love. Depend upon the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to lead you through the Word. Point number five. Who then is Paul and who then is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. Part of their division is they were too focused on a particular individual. Too focused on a particular leader, Paul or Apollos. Apollos. And it's pointed out saying, who is Paul and who is Apollos? They're ministers, they're they're servants of God. And the Lord is the one who has gave to to each one. The way that we should see one another and spiritual leaders in our lives is they're mere servants, they're sinners that are saved by grace. And our focus should be on Jesus, not upon the ministers that he has raised up. In verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Paul continues to teach and help us understand the focus is not on Paul, the focus is not on Apollos. One will plant and another will water, but God gives the increase. So there'll be a person that is used by God to plant the seed of the gospel into someone's life, then someone else will come along and they'll water that seed of, of the gospel. But it's only God who can give the increase. We as a family enjoy some backyard gardening, and it's it's fun for us to participate together in that. We plant the seed after we've prepared the soil. We water and we harvest, and it's hard work, but our labor is nothing without God giving the increase. This is something that the people of Corinth would know and understand. They were much culture- closer to an agrarian society, a farming culture. They lived this and they saw this. And it's a beautiful thing to see this tiny seed. It's such a small seed planted in the ground. And I think my most favorite part of the process of a garden is when the plants first start to come up. And as they're, they're coming up, there are these fresh green plants and they grow and they grow. And God gives the increase. God is the one who brings the growth. God is the one who brings the increase. God is the one who saves. God is the one who transforms the life of, of a believer and so God is the one who gets, gets the glory. And so instead of the church being divided, well, I'm of Paul and I'm of Paulus, it is I'm of Christ because Christ is the one who gives the increase. In verse eight, now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Point number two, if you're taking notes, is choose unity in his field. Choose unity in his field. Paul says here in verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're one. When we're out working in the backyard on our garden, is we're one. It doesn't matter who plants. It doesn't matter who waters. It doesn't matter who prepares the soil. It doesn't matter who goes out and harvests, or who goes out and Keeps the bunnies out of the, the garden. We're all on the same team. We're on the Cartier team in the Cartier garden, working together, and we get to receive the reward as God brings the increase and those vegetables come out of the garden. So we need to choose unity, to choose unity in his field. To, re- to remember, we're all in God's field, we're all in it together, we all have different parts to play jobs to do, gifts that are given by the Lord, but we're in this together. Please hear me on this is, for us at Rocky Mountain Calvary, we are for the body of Christ. We're for the churches in Colorado Springs throughout the country and the globe because we're on the same team. God doesn't look down and see a particular fellowship, Rocky Mountain Calvary. He sees us together as his bride and his body And this is a chance for us right now as the world is in crisis to love one another and to be for the body of Christ. This makes me want to be part of his work. This makes me want to labor inside of his field that he gives the harvest. In Isaiah 52 verse seven, it says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things who proclaims salvation who says to Zion your God reigns we have happy feet as we share the gospel we have happy feet if, as we share the goodness that God reigns when we're laboring in his field and we realize that we're all one we're going to walk through life with joyous feet with with happy feet Daniel 12 talks about laboring in God's field as well and says and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. You're wise. Those are wise who shine like the brightness of the firmament. Being like a star in the sky that's consistent, that points people to Christ, laboring in his field. Choose unity in his field. Is there a disagreement that you need to let go? Is there a disagreement that you need to resolve with another believer? Maybe it's in your home, inside the body of Christ. Church conflict is going to happen. We are sinful. We are fleshly. But the important thing when conflict does happen is to humble ourselves and walk through a process of restoration. And there can be great work that God does in the midst of conflict. So if you're in a place tonight where you find yourself in conflict and that relationship needs to be restored, is go to the Lord, humble yourself, and ask the Lord for wisdom of how to be able to put those differences aside to walk in unity. Be careful that the disagreements don't end up resulting in bitterness and the walls of division. So if you find yourself in the midst of strife, we want to be able to pray with you and pray for you right now. If the stress of this coronavirus has gotten to you and you find yourself fighting with those that you love the most, man, we've all been there. And would you right now go to the comments, go to the chat, and let us know that you need prayer. You don't need to go into all the details, but say, my family and I need prayer. I'm in that place with an unresolved conflict, and I need the Lord to work. I need to choose unity. All of a sudden, I'm seeing someone else in the field as an enemy when we're on the same team, all trying to accomplish the same goals and the purposes. We have people ready, ministry team, pastors that are ready right now to pray with you and pray for you. We want to be faithful to pray. And would you give us that opportunity? I know that there's families that are hurting and struggling in this area. So let's pray. And if your family is doing well, be diligent to pray because this is going to be a time where the enemy wants to get in and do his work. So you guys doing okay? Anybody taking a coffee break, getting some ice cream? If you're getting ice cream, grab me a bowl. I hope you're doing good. I hope you're staying with me. Verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Some great analogies of what we are in Christ. We're fellow workers. This is one of the wonderful things about God is he allows us to work with him, to be his his co-worker, his co-laborer, He doesn't need us by any means, but he enjoys us being able to labor with him in his work. I think most parents can understand this, that there's times with our children where we don't necessarily need their help, but we want their help because it's fun to be able to do projects uh, together. I enjoy this with my kids, with my four kids, is being able to, to cook together in the kitchen to be able to build something uh, together, to work on my old truck uh, together. And it's a wonderful time. We get to enjoy relationship as we're doing things together. And God's the same way. Our Heavenly Father's the same way. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. We probably slow him down in our, in our efforts. But he delights in us being able to participate with him in his work we're his field. So we labor in his field, but we also are his field. That God is planting his love, his grace, his goodness, the seed of his word into our hearts and our lives, that we would bear fruit. Also, we're his building. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. The grace of God that God dwells in us verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Point number three, take heed how you build. So by the grace of God, we're able to build. It's only by God's grace that we can be used in his kingdom. And Paul says, as a wise master builder, He's laid the foundation in the church of Corinth and now another person has built upon it. I don't know if you have ever watched the TV show Grand Design, but we enjoy Grand Design as a family. It's a British TV show that shows couples, families, individuals that are building houses and normally they're building these custom houses and it's about 50-50, Half of them choose to have an architect and a master builder. Then the others say, we're going to do this all on our own. We're going to draw the plans up on our own. We're going to do all the building on our own. And let me tell you, it really pays off to have an architect and a master builder. It's really worth the money to pay the architect to pay the master builder. And some of these homeowners get themselves in these terrible messes because they haven't thought things through and a master builder is being strategic and planful and looking forward to counting the cost and and Paul's saying this is how he laid the foundation as a master builder he was very careful to make sure that the foundation was Christ and now as others are building on that foundation that was laid in the church Paul says take heed on how you build so this is the message for us as we get to come alongside Of people and encourage them in the Lord or minister to someone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, we need to be careful how we're building, how we're investing in their life. Are we giving them our good ideas? Are we giving them our advice? Is it the good idea fairy? Or are we being prayerful and mindful and strategic to say, I am going to declare to them Jesus Christ and them crucified? I'm gonna always point them to the cross. I'm gonna make sure that the foundation that was laid, which is Jesus, is is all what is going forward is Christ as well. So take heed, be careful of how you're building into someone else's life. As someone else is investing into your life, be careful, what are they investing? Are they investing their good ideas or, or are they investing Jesus into my life? We don't have anything better to give to someone than to give them Christ. So be careful. Take heed. Be that master builder as you are investing into other people's life. Verse 11 is an awesome verse. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. No other foundation can be laid. Foundation is everything. The building is only as good as the foundation. The leaning tower of Pisa, we've got a picture of this uh, for you. With the leaning tower of Pisa, you can see the foundation wasn't good. History tells us that the foundation wasn't good, nor was the soil good, so the tower leaned this tower continues to sink every year. And this is not what we want our lives to be. We want our lives to be on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And if our foundation is anything other than Jesus Christ, our life is going to be leaning in the wrong direction. Christ is the solid foundation. He is the no other foundation. The passage that I referred to with Peter In Matthew 16, where Peter realized that Jesus was the Christ, what did Jesus say? Upon this rock. Not Peter, but the confession that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the solid rock. In 1 Peter 2, 6 and 7, Peter expounds on Christ being the foundation, Christ being the cornerstone. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion... A chief cornerstone, an elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone, our foundation, Christ, as we believe in him, we will not be put to shame. Trial does reveal what we have built our lives upon. What is our foundation? The coronavirus cannot touch our life in Christ. For us to live as Christ and to die is gain. We remember Jesus teaching us and declaring to us, there was two that built. There was one who built on the sand and there was one who built upon the rock. The storm came and he who built his life on the sand, house was gone, but he who built his house upon the rock withstood the storm. It's not the promise that we won't go through the storm, but that Christ will be faithful through the storm and the difficulty. What has this storm revealed? What has the coronavirus revealed about our lives? What's so interesting about this trial is we have so much time to be still and reflect and evaluate what's my life built upon? The answer may be that your life is built upon Christ, praise the Lord, continue in that. But there's probably some areas of our lives that this storm is revealing, hey, this part of my life was not built upon Christ. And this is a good chance to say, okay, that specific area of my life, I'm going to start building upon Christ. Maybe you look at your life tonight and you go, you know, I don't know Christ is my savior. He's not my foundation. I've never trusted him for salvation. I've never acknowledged that I'm a sinner and repented of my sin and believed in Christ. Well, tonight's the night. Tonight's the night to believe in Christ and to trust in Christ for, for sal- salvation, for him to be the foundation of your life. If we aren't building our life on Christ, then we're going to have destruction, Christ is the only foundation. There's no other foundation that can be laid in Christ. Verse 12, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Point number four is strive for the reward that remains. I want to be clear on this, that there is a judgment for believers, and it's not a judgment for salvation. Did you hear me on that? It's not a judgment For salvation. The great white throne judgment at the end of the book of Revelation is the judgment for unbelievers, those who have rejected Christ as their Savior, to be eternally separated from God. That's not the judgment that we receive. The judgment that we receive is described here. It says, For the day will declare it. There's a a time that we're going to stand before the Lord when our life is done here on earth. And our work, our labor is going to be put through a fire. How we built upon this foundation. Paul says, Take heed how you build. This is why. Because are we building with cheap materials? We don't have a cheap foundation, so don't build with cheap materials. Are we building with gold and silver and precious stones, things that will endure through this fire? Or are we building with wood? hay and straw. So my life, my life's work, my life's passion, how I spent my time each and every day tallied up to a whole entire lifetime, eventually I'm going to stand before the Lord and my life is going to have to pass through this fire. And there's going to be things that are burned up. There's going to be things that were lost, things that were completely selfish, things where I wasn't thinking about eternity and only trying to get through this life, just trying to pay bills and get by. Now don't get me wrong, we've got to go to work, we've got to pay bills, but what's our attitude in the midst of that? Are we going to work to glorify the Lord? Are we paying bills knowing that all belongs to the Lord? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God like Jesus taught us to? Are we laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven Or have we begin to have an earthly focus and an earthly mindset in serving ourselves instead of serving the Lord? There will be that moment where those things will be burned up and we'll go, oh no, I wasted that. I wasted that day. I wasted that month. I wasted that that decade. And thankfully, God's a God of grace. It's never too late. We can't go back. We can only go forward. But choosing to move forward, let's strive for the reward. And God says here, there is going to be a reward. When those things pass through the fire, there's going to be something left and there's going to be an eternal reward. I've got to confess to you, I don't fully understand an eternal reward. It seems like it's more than enough of a reward to be saved. And we know it's not a reward. it's, It's grace that God has given to us, but more than enough to be saved. But in addition to being saved, God says, I want to reward you for your labor that you have done. And Jesus teaches about this. He said, if you give a cup of cold water to a child in my name, I am going to reward you openly. So the smallest of thing that we do for the Lord in his name, not for ourselves, but for his glory, is going to be rewarded. So why would we care about the reward We see with the 24 elders in Revelation chapter 4, they took their crowns and they laid them down at the feet of Jesus. I think one of the greatest aspects of the reward, the heavenly reward, is to have something to lay down at the feet of Jesus in worship. To go, God, you saved me. You so graciously have rewarded me for these labors. I don't deserve it. I'm going to lay it down at your feet in worship. We also know that Jesus teaches us and says, when you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. But here's the lesson. Here's what I want us to hear tonight, is it does matter how you live your life now as a believer. This, I believe, is part of the motivation for the church of Corinth to stop being so carnal, to stop being so fleshly, to stop being envious, to stop fighting, and to be in a place of unity where the Spirit of God can use them. Paul's saying, look guys, quit wasting time. You're going to stand before the Lord and have to give an account for your life. And do you want your testimony to be one of selfishness and fighting, or do you want your testimony to be one of a life in the Spirit. So we want to strive for this reward. We want to strive for as much as possible for our building to be things that last, for everything that we do to be done unto the glory of God. Whatever your hands find to do, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. In verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God who dwells in you? Let's pause on that for a moment. Do you know that you are the temple of God? That the Spirit of God dwells in you? I think most of us would go, Yeah, I do know this. But do we know this? Do we know it? Believer, the Spirit of God lives in you. The temple was such a revered place where God chose to allow his presence to dwell, God doesn't put his presence now in the midst of a building. He puts his presence in the midst of a believer. We're so used to experiencing God's presence in this building. We're thankful for that and look forward to that in days in the future, but for the time being, God has taken that away from us maybe for us to realize the focus is not to be a building. The focus is not to be, as we gather together, that that's the only place that God's presence is. God's presence is with you right now. And in fact, God's presence is living inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in you and it's God's Spirit that's the power to be able to live these things out. I don't have the power to live these things out. You don't have the power to live these things out. The coronavirus reveals that, reveals our weakness and reveals our flesh. But the spirit of God, the spirit of God dwells inside of you. And the spirit of God is the power. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. This speaks of how we're to treat one another and even ourselves. To look at our brothers and sisters in Christ as the temple of the Holy Spirit and also to look at our own bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Would I fight with that believer that way if I was mindful of the fact that the Spirit of God lives inside of them, that they're the temple of the Holy Spirit? In verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Point number five, lots of teaching points tonight. This is the last one. Be a fool to gain God's wisdom. Doesn't seem right. Be a fool to gain God's wisdom. But remember, Paul is speaking to Greeks, very intellectual culture. These intellects would look at, the things of God, especially the death and resurrection of Christ, and consider it foolishness. And what Paul is saying is you need to be willing to be a fool in the eyes of the intellects in order to gain God's wisdom. If it's a hang up for you saying, Well, I don't know what the intellects of today are gonna think of me if I choose to believe in Christ as my Saviour, God's exhortation is let them think that you're a fool. Let them think that you're a fool at the college campus. Let them think that you're a fool at the workplace so that you be able to become wise. And God really puts an emphasis throughout scripture on wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied, the knowledge of God applied in our lives. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. So God's not impressed with the intellects. God's not impressed with those that are so smart that they've denied the Lord. Two quotes from the Old Testament. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Quoting Job 5.13 and Psalms 94.11. God catches the wise in their own craftiness. Here they're so smart. But God reveals how their wisdom is actually emptiness. It's, it's futile. Love how the chapter ends. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So instead of being focused on Paul or Apollos and going, man, Paul's my bro. No, Apollos is my mentor. I fall into this category. No, we shouldn't be focused on Paul. We shouldn't be focused on Apollos or Peter, Cephas or any of these other things in this world. I I have this house or I have this car or I have this life. What we should be boasting in is the fact that we belong to Christ. And you are Christ. You're bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. And since you belong to Jesus, then he doesn't want us in this carnal fleshly mindset. He wants our mind to be upon things that are above. He wants our mind to be upon the things of of Scripture because we belong to Christ. You belong to Jesus. Isn't it wonderful to know that you belong? Remember those games growing up when in recess and it's a pickup game of football and you'd have two team captains? And those two team captains would always choose the best players first. There was always a few players that were the last to be chosen. And in fact, sometimes it's like, well, man, we had Johnny Yesterday, it's your turn to to take Johnny, but we're chosen by Christ and we're on Christ's team and we belong to Christ. And it's from that position of belonging to Christ that we then grow in Christ and we begin to labor for the things that will really matter and to serve Christ, to see every task, to, to see every responsibility every moment as an opportunity to serve the Lord in worship. This is my prayer, and this is what I believe, is that God is going to really use and is already using this coronavirus to bring us closer to the Lord, to wake up the church, and to bring unbelievers to him. This is a great time to step back and to evaluate our spiritual life, to pray like the psalmist and say, God, search me and know me and try me and see if there is any wicked way inside of me. God, would you reveal that flesh? Would you reveal that carnality? Would you you take it out of me? Lord, this fighting and this this division and this lack of contentment, it it shows that there's something wrong in my life spiritually. As believers, God doesn't want us to stay in that fleshly state, though we'll we'll all be there at different points and times. But he wants more and more of our life with him to be typified by the Spirit. So, what has this challenge, what has this difficulty been revealing about our relationship with God? And maybe it's that our relationship with the Lord has been neglected. Maybe it is that we've been serving ourselves, that we know Christ, but we go through each and every day with Team Eric, with our own agenda. And it's destroying relationships and it's destroying people. And God wants there to be repentance in our lives this evening to turn to him and say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. And God, would you help me? I I can't overcome this. But I know through you that I can. And Holy Spirit, I'm willing to follow you. Do you need to humble yourself tonight And go and make a relationship right. Is it time to let go of some bitterness? See, these are fairly easy Bible studies to go through, to teach in 45 minutes. But it's a whole other thing to go, man, too much of my time is summed up with division and fighting and envy. And I'm ready to live differently. I'm ready to live building on this foundation. I don't want to get to heaven and realize that my life was wasted. God gave you a life and that life belongs to the Lord and he wants to use it. He wants to be the Lord of each and every day. Would you pray with me? Father, we can't make these changes in our lives apart from you. But Lord, In you, all things are possible. So God, would you search us and would you know us? Would you reveal where our lives are given over to sin? They're given over to the flesh. Lord, may we look at the fruit of our lives and humble ourselves before you. Father, we do repent. We want you to be the greatest priority in our lives. We want our lives to count. We want to serve you each and every day, even in the midst of this coronavirus. We want to get up and we want to serve you. We want to be a blessing to you. We want to be a blessing to people. Father, I pray right now over broken relationships, especially broken relationships inside of the body of Christ. Would you heal those relationships? May there be confession of sin and prayer and forgiveness. Holy Spirit, right now, we just ask that you would minister, that you would speak.